Chapter Twelve of the Money Moon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Money Moon, a Romance by Geoffrey Farnell. Chapter Twelve, in which may be found a full, true, and particular account of the sale. Uncle Porges, there's a little man in the hall with a red, red nose and a blue, blue chin. Yes, I've seen him. Also his nose and chin, my Porges but he's sticking little papers with numbers on them all over my auntie anthea's chairs and tables now what do you suppose he's doing that for oh, who knows it's probably all on account of his red nose and blue chin my porges anyway don't worry about him let us rather find our auntie anthea they found her in the hall and it was a hall here at dapplemere wide and high and with a minstrel's gallery at one end a hall that, years and years ago, had often rung with the clash of men-at-arms, and echoed with loud and jovial laughter, for this was the most ancient part of the manor. It looked rather bare and barren just now, for the furniture was all moved out of place, ranged neatly round the walls, and stacked at the farther end, beneath the gallery where the little man in question, blue of chin and red of nose, was hovering about it dabbing little tickets on chairs and tables even as small porges had said and in the midst of it all stood anthea a desolate figure bella thought who upon his entrance bent her head to draw on her driving gloves for she was waiting for the dog-cart which was to bear her and small porges to cranbrook far away from the hollow tap of the auctioneer's hammer we're getting rid of some old furniture you see mr bellew she said laying her hand on an antique cabinet nearby we really have much more than we ever use yes said bellew but he noticed that her eyes were very dark and wistful despite her light tone and that she had laid her hand upon the old cabinet with a touch very like a caress why is that man's nose so awful red and his chin so blue auntie anthea inquired small porges in a hissing stage whisper hush georgie i don't know said anthea and why is he sticking his little numbers all over our best furniture that is to kindly auctioneer where to and what is an auctioneer but at this moment hearing the wheels of the dog-cart at the door anthea turned and hastened out into the sunshine a lovely day it do be for driving said adam touching his hat and best be thick and the same i do believe and he patted the glossy coat of the mare who arched her neck and pawed the gravel with an impatient hoof lightly and nimbly anthea swung herself up to the high seat turning to make small porges secure beside her as bellew handed him up you'll look after things for me adam said anthea glancing back wistfully into the dim recesses of the cool old hall I i will that miss anthea mr bellew we can find room for you if you care to come with us thanks said he shaking his head but i rather think i'll stay here and uh, help adam to 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 look after things if you don't mind then good-bye said anthea and nodding to adam he gave the mare her head and off they went good-bye cried small porges i thank you for the shilling uncle porges the mare is uh, rather fresh this morning isn't she adam inquired bellew watching the dog-cart's rapid course fresh sir 
and that's rather a dangerous sort of thing for a woman to drive, isn't it? Meaning the dog-cart, sir. Meaning the dog-cart, Adam. Why, Lord love you, Mr. Bellew, sir, cried Adam with his great laugh. There ain't nobody can handle the ribbons better than Miss Anthea. There ain't a horse she can't drive, ah, or ride, for that matter. Not nowheres, sir. Hum, said Bellew, and, having watched the dog-cart out of sight, he turned and followed Adam into the stables. And here, sitting upon a bale of hay, they smoked many pipes together in earnest converse, until such time as the sale should begin. As the day advanced, people began arriving in twos and threes, and, among the first, the auctioneer himself. A jovial-faced man was this auctioneer, with jovial manner and a jovial smile. Indeed, his joviality seemed, somehow or other, to have got into the very buttons of his coat, for they fairly winked and twinkled with joviality. Upon catching sight of the furniture, he became, if possible, more jovial than ever, and, beckoning to his assistant, that is, to say, to the small man with the red nose and the blue chin, who, it seemed, answered to the name of Theodore. He clapped him jovially upon the back, rather as though he were knocking him down to some unfortunate bidder, and immediately fell into business converse with him, albeit jovial still. But all the while intending purchasers were arriving. They came on horse and afoot, and in conveyances of every sort and kind and the tread of their feet, and the buzz of their voices awoke unwonted echoes in the old place. And still they came, from far and near, until some hundred odd people were crowded into the hall. Conspicuous among them was a large man with a fat red neck which he was continually mopping at, and rubbing with a vivid bandana handkerchief scarcely less red. Indeed, red seemed to be his pervading color, for his hair was red, his hands were red, and his face, heavy and round, was reddest of all, out of whose flaming circumference two diminutive but very sharp eyes winked and blinked continually. His voice, like himself, was large with a peculiar brassy ring to it that penetrated to the farthest corners and recesses of the old hall. He was, beyond all doubt, a man of substance, and of no small importance, for he was greeted deferentially on all hands, and it was to be noticed that people elbowed each other to make way for him, as people ever will before substance and property. To some of them he nodded, to some he spoke, and with others he even laughed, albeit he was of a solemn, sober, and serious nature, as becomes a man of property and substance. Between whiles, however, he bestowed his undivided attention upon the furniture. He sat down suddenly and heavily in chairs. He pummeled them with his plump red fists, whereby to test their springs. He opened the doors of cabinets. He peered into drawers. He rapped upon tables, and altogether comported himself as a thoroughly knowing man should, who is not to be hocused by veneer, or taken in by the shine and splendor of well-applied beeswax. Bellew, watching all this from where he sat screened from the throng by a great carved sideboard, and divers chairs and what-nots, drew rather harder at his pipe, and, chancing to catch Adam's eye, beckoned him to approach. "'Who is that round red man yonder, Adam?' he inquired, 
nodding to where the individual in question was engaged at that moment, poking at something or other with a large, sausage-like finger. "'That,' replied Adam, in a tone of profound disgust, "'that be Mr. Grimes of Cranbrook, sir. Calls yourself a corn-chandler, but I calls him—well, never mind what, sir. Only it weren't at corn-chandling as he made all his money, sir, and it be him as we all work and slave for, here at Dapplemere Farm.' "'What do you mean, Adam?' "'I mean as it be him as holds the mortgage on Dapplemere, sir.' "'Ah, and how much?' "'Ah, over three thousand pound, Mr. Bellew, sir,' sighed Adam, with a hopeless shake of the head. "'And that be a powerful lot of money, sir.' Bellew thought of the sums he had lavished upon his yacht, upon his three racing cars, and certain other extravagances. Three thousand pounds?' fifteen thousand dollars it would make her a free woman independent happy just fifteen thousand dollars and he had thrown away more than that upon a poker game before now lord exclaimed adam the very sight of that there grimes's pig eyes a stare at miss anthea's furniture do make the old adam rise up in me to that amazing extent mr bellew sir i just look at him a thumpin and a poundin at that there chair saying which adam turned and elbowing his way to where mr grimes was in the act of testing the springs of an easy-chair he promptly and as though forced by a struggling mob fell up against mr grimes and jostled mr grimes and trod heavily upon the toes of mr grimes and all with an expression of the most profound unconsciousness and abstraction which upon the indignant corn-chandler's loud expostulations immediately changed to a look of innocent surprise can't you look where you're going you clumsy fool fumed the irate grimes redder of neck than ever oh ach your pardon mr grimes said adam solemnly but, but what with people's legs and cheer legs and the legs of tables not to mention sideboards and cabinets which though not ever no legs ain't to be by no manner o means despised therefore what with this and that and t'other i am that confined or as you might say confused i don't know which legs is mine or yourn or anybody else's mr grimes sir i make so bold as to ax your pardon all over again sir during which speech adam contrived once more to fall against to tread upon and to jostle the highly incensed mr grimes back into the crowd again thereafter he became a nemesis to mr grimes haunting him through the jungle of chairs and tables pursuing him into distant corners and shady places where so sure as the sausage-like finger poised itself for an interrogatory poke or the fat red fist doubled itself for a spring-testing punch the innocent seeming adam would thereupon fall against him from the rear sideways or in front meanwhile bellew sat in his secluded corner watching the crowd through the blue wreaths of his pipe but thinking of her who brave though she was had nevertheless run away from it all at the last moment presently however he was aware that the corn chandler had seated himself on the other side of the chiffonier puffing and panting with heat and indignation where he was presently joined by another individual a small rat-eyed man who bid mr grimes a deferential good day that there adam puffed the corn-chandler that there adam ought to be throwed out into the stables where he belongs 
I never see a man with so much growed to feet and elbers in all my days. You ought to be took, repeated the corn-chandler, and shook and throwed out into the yard. Yes, nodded the other, took and shook and throwed out neck and crop, sir. And now what might you think of the furniture, Mr. Grimes? So-so, Parsons, nodded Grimes, so-so. Shall you buy? I am a-going, said the corn-chandler, with much deliberation. I am a-going to take them tapestry cheers, sir, likewise the grandfather clock in the corner here, likewise the four-post bedstead with the carved headboard, and most particular, Parsons, I shall take this here sideboard. There ain't another piece like this in the county, as I know of. Solid mahogany, sir, and the carvings. And herewith he gave two loud double knocks upon the article of furniture in question. Oh, I've had my eye on this sideboard for years and years. Knowed I'd get it some day, too. The only wonder is, she ain't had to sell up before now. Meaning uh, Miss Anthea, sir? Ah, her. I say as it's a wonder to me. What with the interest on the mortgage I owed on the place, and one thing and another, it's a wonder to me she's kept her head above water so long. But mark me, Parsons, mark me. She'll be selling again soon, and next time it'll be lock, stock, and barrel, Parsons. Well, I don't hold with women farmers myself, nodded Parsons. But as to that cupboard over there, Sheraton, I think, what might you suppose it to be worth? "'Betwixt friends, now,' inquired Parsons, the rat-eyed. "'I can't say I've seen it, and likewise felt it,' answered the corn-chandler, rising. "'Let me lay my hand upon it, and I'll tell you to a shilling.' And here they elbowed their way into the crowd. But Bellew sat there, chin in hand, quite oblivious to the fact that his pipe was out long since. The tall old grandfather clock, ticking in leisurely fashion, in the corner behind him, solemn and sedate as it had done since, as the neat inscription upon the dial testified, it had first been made in the year of grace 1732 by one Jabez Havisham of London. This ancient timepiece now uttered a sudden wheeze, which, considering its great age, could scarcely be wondered at, and thereafter the wheezing have subsided gave forth a soft and mellow chime proclaiming to all and sundry that it was twelve o'clock hereupon the auctioneer bustling to and fro with his hat upon the back of his head consulted his watch nodded to the red-nosed blue-chinned theodore and perching himself above the crowd gave three sharp knocks with his hammer gentlemen he began but here he was interrupted by a loud voice upraised in hot anger "'Confound you for a clumsy rascal! Will you keep them elbers a yearn out of my waistcoat, eh? Will you keep them big feet a yearn to yourself? If there ain't enough room for you, out you go, do you hear? I'll have you took and shook and throwed out where you belong. So just mind where you come a-trampin' and a-treadin'.' "'Tread?' repeated Adam. "'Lord, where am I to tread? If I steps backwards, I tread on ye. If I steps sideways, I tread on ye.' If I steps forward, I tread on ye. It do seem to me as I can't go nowhere, but there you be a-waitin' to be trod on, Mr. Grimes, sir. Hereupon the auctioner rapped louder than ever, upon which the clamour, subsiding, he smiled his most jovial smile, and once more began. 
"'Gentlemen, you have all had an opportunity to examine the furniture I am about to dispose of, and as fair-minded human beings, I think you will admit that a finer lot of genuine antique was never offered at one and the same time. Gentlemen, I am not going to burst forth into laudatory rodomontade, which is a word, gentlemen, that I employ only among an enlightened community such as I now have the honour of addressing. Neither do I suppose to waste your time in purposeless verbiage, which is another of the same kind, gentlemen. <laughs> Therefore, without further preface or preamble, we will proceed at once to business. The first lot I have to offer you is a, a screen, six foot high. Bring out the screen, Theodore. There it is, gentlemen. Open it out, Theodore. Observe, gentlemen. It is carved rosewood. The panels hand-painted, and representing shepherds and shepherdesses, disporting themselves under a tree with banjo and guitar. Now, what am I offered for this hand-painted antique screen? Come. Fifteen shillings, from someone deep hidden in the crowd. Start as low as you like, gentlemen. I am offered a miserable fifteen shillings for a genuine hand-painted sixteen. This from a long, loose-limbed fellow with a patch over one eye and another on his cheek. "'A pound!' said Adam, promptly. "'A guinea!' nodded he of the patches. Twenty-five shillings!' said Adam. "'At twenty-five shillings!' cried the auctioneer. "'Any advance? A genuine hand-painted antique screen going at twenty-five! At twenty-five! Going, going, gone!' To the large gentleman in the neckcloth, Theodore. There be that Job Jagway, sir, said Adam, leaning across the sideboard to impart this information. Over yonder, Mr. Bellew, sir, Ibis was bidden for the screen, the tall chap with the patches. Two patches be pretty good, but I do wish I'd give him a couple more while I was about it, Mr. Bellew, sir. Here the auctioneer's voice put an end to Adam's self-reproaches, and he turned back to the business in hand. The next lot I am going to dispose of, gentlemen, is a fine set of six chairs with carved antique backs and upholstered in tapestry. Also, two armchairs to match. Wheel em out, Theodore. Now, what is your price for these eight fine pieces? Look em over and bid accordingly. Thirty shillings, again from the depths of the crowd. Ha, <laughs> ha, you choke, sir laughed the auctioneer, rubbing his hands in his most jovial manner. Oh, you choke! I can't see you, but you choke, of course, and I laugh accordingly. <laughs> Thirty shillings for eight fine, antique-tapestried, hand-carved chairs. Oh, very good! Excellent upon my soul! Three pound! said the fiery-necked corn-chandler. Guineas! said the rat-eyed Parsons. Four pound! nodded the corn-chandler. Four pound ten, roared Adam. Five, nodded Grimes, edging away from Adam's elbow. Six pound ten, cried Adam. Seven, from Parsons. Eight, said Grimes. Ten, roared Adam, growing desperate. Eleven, said Grimes, beginning to mop at his neck again. Adam hesitated. Eleven pounds seemed so very much for those chairs that he had seen Prudence and the rosy-cheeked maids dust regularly every morning, and then it was not his money, after all. 
Therefore Adam hesitated, and glanced wistfully towards a certain distant corner. "'At eleven, at eleven pounds, this fine suite of hand-carved antique chairs, at eleven pounds, at eleven, at eleven, going, going, fifteen, said a voice from the distant corner, whereupon Adam drew a great sigh of relief, while the corn-chandler contorted himself in his efforts to glare at Bellew round the sideboard. Fifteen pounds, chanted the auctioneer, I have fifteen, I am given fifteen. Any advance? These eight antique chairs going at fifteen. Going, for the last time, going, gone. Sold to the gentleman in the corner behind the sideboard, Theodore. They were certainly fine chairs, Mr. Grimes, said Parsons, shaking his head. "'So-so,' said the Chandler, sitting down heavily. "'So-so, Parsons.' And he turned to glare at Bellew, who, lying back in an easy chair with his legs upon another, puffed at his pipe, and regarded all things with a placid interest. It is not intended to record in these pages all the bids that were made as the afternoon advanced, for that would be fatiguing to write, and a weariness to read. Suffice it that lots were put up, and regularly knocked down, but always to Bellew or Adam, which last, encouraged by Bellew's bold advances, gaily roared down, and constantly outbid all competitors with such unhesitating pertinacity that murmurs rose and swelled into open complaint, in the midst of which the fiery-visaged corn-chandler, purple now between heat and vexation, loudly demanded that he lay down some substantial deposit upon what he had already purchased, failing which he should there and then be took and shook and thrown out into the yard neck and crop added mr parsons that seems to be a fair proposition smiled the auctioneer who had already experienced some doubts as to adam's financial capabilities yet with his joviality all unruffled that seems to be a very fair proposal indeed if the gentleman will put down some substantial deposit now "'Aye, for sure,' nodded Adam, stepping forward, and, unbuttoning a capacious pocket, he drew out a handful of banknotes. "'Shall I give ye a hundred pounds, or will fifty be enough?' "'Why,' said the auctioneer, rubbing his hands as he eyed the fistful of banknotes, ten pound will be all that is necessary, sir, just to ensure good faith, you understand.' Hereupon Bellew, beckoning to Adam, handed him a like amount which was duly deposited with the auctioneer. So, once more, the bidding began. Once more, lots were put up and knocked down, now to Adam and now to Bellew. The bed with the carved headboard had fallen to Adam after a lively contest between him and Parsons and the corn-chandler, which had left the latter in a state of perspiring profanity, from which he was by no means recovered, when the auctioneer once more rapped for silence. "'And now, gentlemen, last but by no means least, we come to the gem of the sale, a sideboard, gentlemen, a magnificent mahogany sideboard, being a superb example of the carver's art. Here is a sideboard, gentlemen, which, if it can be equalled, cannot be excelled.' no gentlemen not if you were to search all the baronial halls and lordly mansions in this land of mansions and baronials 
it is a truly magnificent piece in perfect condition and to be sold at your own price i say no more gentlemen how much for this magnificent mahogany piece ten pound eleven fifteen seventeen said adam who was rapidly drawing near the end of his resources eighteen this from job jagway go easy there job hissed adam edging a little nearer to him go easy now nineteen twenty said job twenty-one roared adam making his last bid and then turning he hissed in job's unwilling ear go any higher and i'll pound you into a jelly job twenty-five said parsons twenty-seven forty-eight thirty nodded grimes scowling at adam thirty-two cried parsons thirty-six thirty-seven forty nodded grimes that drops me said parsons sighing and shaking his head ah chuckled the corn chandler well i've waited years for that sideboard parsons and i ain't going to let you take it away from me nor nobody else sir at forty cried the auctioneer at forty this magnet one nodded bellew beginning to fill his pipe forty-one's the bid i have forty-one from the gent in the corner forty-five growled the corn chandler six said bellew fifty snarled grimes one said bellew gent in the corner gives me fifty-one chanted the auctioneer any advance at fifty-one fifty-five said grimes beginning to mop at his neck harder than ever add ten nodded bellew what's that cried grimes weeding about gent in the corner offers me sixty-five at sixty-five this magnificent piece at sixty-five what are you all done at sixty-five and cheap at the price come gentlemen take your time give it another look over and bid accordingly the crowd had dwindled rapidly during the last hour which was scarcely to be wondered at seeing that they were constantly outbid either by a hoarse-voiced square-shouldered fellow in a neckcloth or a dreamy individual who lolled in a corner and puffed at a pipe but now as grimes his red cheeks puffed out his little eyes snapping in a way that many knew meant danger with a large d as the rich corn chandler whose word was law to a good many, turned and confronted this lounging, long-legged individual, such as remained closed round them in a ring, in keen expectation of what was to follow. Observing which, the corn-chandler, feeling it incumbent upon him now or never to vindicate himself as a man of property and substance, and not to be put down, thrust his hands deep into his pockets, spread his legs wide apart, and stared at bellow in a way that most people had found highly disconcerting before now bellow however seemed wholly unaffected and went on imperturbably filling his pipe at sixty-five cried the auctioneer leaning towards grimes with his hammer poised at sixty-five will you make it another pound sir come what do you say i say no sir returned the corn-chandler slowly and impressively i say no sir i say 
Make it another twenty pound, sir. Hereupon heads were shaken or nodded, and there rose the sudden shuffle of feet as the crowd closed in nearer. I get eighty-five. Any advance on eighty-five? Eighty-six, said Bellew, settling the tobacco in his pipe-bow with his thumb. Once again the auctioneer leaned over and appealed to the corn-chandler, who stood in the same attitude, jingling the money in his pocket. "'Come, sir, don't let a pound or two stand between you and a sideboard that can't be matched in the length and breadth of the United Kingdom. Come, what do you say to another ten shillings?' "'I say, sir,' said Grimes, with his gaze still riveted upon Bellew, "'I say, no, sir.' I say, make it another twenty pound, sir. Again there rose the shuffle of feet, again heads were nodded, and elbows nudged neighboring ribs, and all eyes were focused upon Bellew, who was in the act of lighting his pipe. One hundred and six pounds, cried the auctioneer, at one six, at one six. Bellew struck a match, but the wind from the open casement behind him extinguished it. I have one hundred and six pounds. Is there any advance? Yes or no? Going at one hundred and six. Adam, who up till now had enjoyed the struggle to the utmost, experienced a sudden qualm of fear. Bellew struck another match. At one hundred and six pounds. At one six. Going at one hundred and six pounds. A cold moisture started out on Adam's brow. He clenched his hands, and muttered between his teeth. Supposing the money were all gone, like his own share, supposing they had to lose this famous old sideboard, and to Grimes of all people. This and much more was in Adam's mind, while the auctioneer held his hammer poised, and Bellow went on lighting his pipe. "'Going at one hundred and six! Going! Going! Fifty up!' said Bellow. His pipe was well alight at last, and he was nodding to the auctioneer through a fragrant cloud. "'What?' cried Grimes. "'How much?' "'Gent in the corner gives me one hundred and fifty-six pounds,' said the auctioneer, with a jovial eye upon the corn-chandler's lowering visage. "'One five-six? All done? Any advance? Going at one five-six. Going? Going? Gone!' The hammer fell, and with its tap a sudden silence came upon the old hall. Then, all at once, the corn-chandler turned, caught up his hat, clapped it on, shook a fat fist at Bellow, and, crossing to the door, lumbered away, muttering maledictions as he went. By twos and threes the others followed him, until there remained only Adam, Bellew, the auctioneer, and the red-nosed Theodore. And yet there was one other, for, chancing to raise his eyes to the minstrel's gallery, Bellew espied Miss Priscilla, who, meeting his smiling glance, leaned down suddenly over the carved rail, and very deliberately threw him a kiss, and then hurried away with a quick, light tap-tap of her stick. End of chapter 12